Ah, good morning. Uh, before we start the before we start the message today, I, I have a freebie for you. So this is not related to the message. Don't get distracted by it. I'm trusting you that you can like take this, put it over on uh, whatever side of your brain, and then we'll put the message on the other side, and everything will be good. Nobody will be confused. Um, some years ago, I heard a radio interview with uh, featuring uh, Larry Norman, uh, who probably many of you have not heard of, but he was the father of contemporary Christian movement, uh, contemporary Christian music movement. Uh, he gave us songs like "Watch What You're Doing," "Why Don't You Look Into Jesus," and "Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music." A fan called into the radio show and rebuked Larry's efforts to control the bootleg distribution of his music. He told Larry that he shouldn't charge for his music because that was the ministry that God had given him, and ministry should always be given free of charge. Now, there's some serious biblical problems with that statement, but we'll pass over that for the time being. Larry replied, well, brother, I see your point. That is something to think about, isn't it? As they talked further, he found that the caller was an HVAC technician, uh, heating and air conditioning technician. And, uh, and he asked him if he did his work for free. And the gentleman required, well, well, no. And Larry said to him, well, you realize that your work is the ministry that God called you to, and you should be working for free just like I am. The caller hung up. It strikes me that the caller failed to understand a fundamental truth central to our individual responsibilities as citizens of God's kingdom. We are all called to the ministry, quote unquote, 24-7, 365. While there may be differences in gifting, exposure, and impact, there is no distinction in calling. And don't buy bootleg music. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you that you've given us your spirit. And we thank you that you've promised us and commanded us to have joy in our lives. We thank you for that blessing that can overcome so many, or can help us to overcome so many difficulties. We pray that today you would help us to understand some basics about joy, that we can go forth and serve you more effectively as we minister in the communities in which you've put us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. About two weeks ago, uh, I, I spoke to you and my topic was hope. Today we're going to talk about joy. Considering my current life circumstances, there is an element of timeliness in these two topics. I appreciate the opportunity to address them, especially joy, a topic so vast in its expression through the scriptures that I have never really understood it as well as I should. So this was a great study for me, and I hope it will be for you as well. In the time we have today, we will try to cover some of the basics. If you want to go deeper in the study of joy, I can heartily recommend John Piper's website, uh, Desiring God. It has some excellent, excellent articles and podcasts and Bible studies on joy. 
I'd like us to leave here with a biblical understanding of joy, the essential role it plays in, the Christians, in a Christian's life, and how we can find it in the dark and chaotic world in which we live. We're going to answer three questions. First of all, we'll define joy. Second, we'll look at the role that it plays in a Christian's life. And thirdly, we'll, we'll take a practical approach and say, how can we find this joy? How can we see the, the, the reality of joy expressed in our lives day by day? So what is joy? The scriptures were told to rejoice, to be joyful, to not fear, to be thankful. These are actually the most common commands in scripture. People tend to focus on the fact that the Bible says, you know, don't murder, don't steal. There's, there's prohibitions in actions, and we should regard those. Those are important. Those can't be ignored. But one of the things that we, we tend to ignore is the fact that we're oftentimes told to be a particular way or to do uh, a particular thing. All of those commands that I just mentioned are related to our happiness. While God does not exist so that we can be happy, he cares about our happiness. Be sure and keep that, ex that extinction, great Paul, uh, that distinction in mind. In John 17, verse 11, Jesus prays, not that we will be filled with joy, but that we will be filled with his joy. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. His joy in us, our joy full. This passage in its context follows Jesus' explanation to the disciples that he is the vine and they are the branches and therefore they will find their strength, their sustenance in him. By extension, it also speaks to us. Through him, we can produce much fruit. Without him, we can't accomplish anything. Living a life characterized by obedience to his teaching assures that we will remain in fellowship with him. He tells us these things so that we can be full of his joy. In the verses that follow, he explains that the world will hate us because it hated him first. A broader look at this, this happiness, this joy that Jesus talks about shows that it is not dependent on circumstances. We see saints throughout the scriptures rejoicing in circumstances that are far from ideal. One of my favorite examples is the prophet Habakkuk. Uh, at the end of chapter 3 of, of the book of Habakkuk, the prophet is looking forward to two things. He realizes that his nation is going to be invaded by a brutal oppressor, and he realizes that uh, what we would term terrible economic hardships were going to become the lot of his nation. And yet he says, yet I will exult in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. 
This is not the happiness that the world seeks. This is the joy that is part of the birthright of every child of God. John Piper has a good definition. He defines Christian joy as a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. He has five parts to his definition. Each of them is based on a biblical truth. And so I'd like to go through them quickly. First of all, joy is a good feeling. It's not a decision. It's not an intention. It's not an idea. Since it is an emotion, we cannot directly cause it to happen. There's a, there's a popular saying that says, choose joy. We can't really do that. We can't really do that. Joy happens to us on an emotional level. The second part of his definition is in the soul, the immaterial part of us. Joy's roots are not in what our body does, though our body can be affected by the emotion of joy. Uh, some years ago, as a matter of fact, many, many years ago, I was at a lamb concert. Okay, nobody here has heard of lamb. Should have researched that ahead of time. Oh, thank you, Matt, another old guy in the back. Um, Lamb was a messianic Christian uh, musical group that uh, sang, uh, say, like Hebrew-based music that was very happy and very joyful. So Nancy and I went to uh, one of their concerts down at the University of Pennsylvania because I love their music, frankly. It's great. It encourages me and it takes me into the throne room of God. And so uh, while we were sitting there listening to the music, virtually everybody in the auditorium got up and started dancing and waving their arms and they made this ring around the auditorium and they, they danced this Hebrew dance and everything. And, and there was a young lady seated next, well there was a young lady on the other side of me, that was Nancy. But there was a young lady on the, on, on the, the, the side opposite from Nancy and uh, she turned to me and said, uh, aren't you going to get up and dance? And I said, no. And she said, well, you're not very joyful, are you? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm joyful. I just don't dance at all, ever. <laughs> and she said, well, you know, you're just one of those straight-laced people. And, you know, she went on. We make the mistake of, of uh, equating a particular, sometimes we make the mistake of equating a particular physical manifestation of joy with joy. That is, that is far from biblical. John Piper is dead on right when he says that it's a good feeling in our soul. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. We know that joy is a product of the Spirit's work in our life. Anything that impedes the Holy Spirit's work in our life will impede our ability to experience joy. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, list the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is fruit that we experience in, in greater and greater degrees as we mature in our relationship with the Lord. One of those fruits is joy. 
The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. So the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to cause us to experience joy. The next part is, as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ. While joy is an emotion and is rooted in our soul rather than our body, our mind is still still engaged as the portal through which the Holy Spirit enables us to see the beauty of Christ. This is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in John 16, 14, says, and he, speaking of the Holy Spirit, will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Think back. Whose joy? His joy. So the Holy Spirit takes his joy and communicates it to us. I I would add this, it's not in my notes, but I would add as well that I believe that, that biblical joy is always, always, always rooted in the person and work of Christ. Uh, there may be a little bit of expansion there, but um, if I get joyful because um, my, my son buys me a WRX, I'm not joyful, I'm just happy. Anyways. Uh, and next, the in the word and in the world. We see the beauty of Christ most clearly in the word of God, but also in the world around us. He is revealed in the wonder of creation, in his provision for us, in his actions in our world. It's easy to see these things when times are good. At times, the path path we walk is not pleasant. The Holy Spirit can still help us to see the Lord's beauty in those times. I don't know how many of you have followed these incidents of the, um, or the events of the early rain Covenant Church in Shendu, uh, but uh, I'd like to read well, Pastor, Pastor Wang Li Yi of the Early Rain Covenant Church in Shendu, which is the provincial cat- capital of Sichuan, and thank, forgive me if I mispronounce those names, those of you who know how to say them correctly, was arrested alongside some 100 Christians congregants over the weekend. He left a letter explaining his thoughts on his arrest with instructions that it be released to the public if he was ever detained for more than 48 hours. Here are some excerpts from that letter. Now this is a little long, but bear with me because this is excellent, excellent stuff. I accept and respect the fact that this communist regime has been allowed by God to rule temporarily. As the Lord's servant, John Calvin said, wicked rulers are the judgment of God on a wicked people the goal being to urge God's people to repent and turn again towards him. For this reason, I am joyfully willing to submit myself to their enforcement of the law as though submitting to the discipline and training of the Lord. At the same time, I believe that this communist regime's persecution against the church is a greatly wicked, unlawful action. As a pastor of a Christian church, I must denounce this wickedness openly and severely. The calling that I have received requires me to use nonviolent methods to disobey those human laws that disobey the Bible and God. 
my Savior Christ also requires me to joyfully bear all costs for disobeying wicked laws. If God decides to use the persecution of this communist regime against the church to help more Chinese people despair of their futures, to lead them through a wilderness of spiritual disillusionment, and through this to make them know Jesus, if through this he continues disciplining and building up his church, then I am joyfully willing to submit to God's plans, for his plans are always benevolent and good. If I am imprisoned for a long or short period of time, if I can help reduce the authority's fear of my faith and of my Savior, I am very joyfully willing to help them in this way. Joy as commanded and enabled by God should be a part of the normal Christian life. As the Lord reveals himself around us and through his word, and the Holy Spirit enables us to see his beauty, our souls should overflow with good feelings. We have to ask ourselves the question, is this our daily reality? Again, I would caution, when we ask ourselves that question, remember that the joy we're talking about is not the ooh-ah extremes of emotion. Joy can be a quiet, still feeling, a good feeling in our soul. It isn't always thunder and lightning. Sometimes it's just the sound of lightly falling rain. So what role does joy play in the Christian life? Well, joy is the product of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. As a fruit of the Spirit, it is part of growing in maturity. When joy is present in our life, it has several positive benefits. The first is that joy protects us from life-sucking religiosity. There is a tendency, I find in my heart, and by extension, I, I believe perhaps some of you may suffer from this, where my Christian life becomes a routine. I do what I do as a Christian because that's what I do. And I forget about the living relationship, I lose the living relationship with Jesus Christ that makes my service an act of love. It just becomes something that I simply do. Joy protects us against falling into this because we cannot be connected to Christ our vine and fall into mindless rote performance of religious actions. Joy also protects from temptation. James chapter 1 verse 14 says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. As a result of our own desire, we look to outside of God's provision for what he has promised. Joy is the result of us looking to the Lord for our strength, and we have no need to look outside. As long as we are rightly related to the Lord, he will protect us from our own lusts. Joy, whilst, joy while in suffering, attracts the lost, the lost, excuse me. When the actions and attitudes of the believing church can be explained in natural terms and attributed to natural motivations, involvement with the God of that church is no more compelling than the desire to join a social club or a country club. 
However, when the lives of believers reflect love of and submission to Christ in ways that cannot naturally be explained, the communities around us are forced to take notice. Joy in the midst of suffering is one such opportunity. Joy in good times can be explained. Joy in tough circumstances cannot. Note that the elders of the early reign covenant church joyfully accepted their suffering, knowing that all God's plans are good. They trust this will bring him glory and their nation repentance. Lack of joy is also a warning light, or it should be a warning light on the dashboard of a Christian. Um, we all know what warning lights are about. Obviously, perhaps some of us don't. Uh, my son and I went out one time to, to buy a car, and um, we, we showed up at uh, one of the fellows who offered a car for sale on Craigslist, and um, I always talk to people about the cars. And, and so I asked him, I said, well, why are you selling the car? He said, well, it has a seized engine. Well, that was okay, because we had an engine for it, and, and you know, that was acceptable to us. So uh, I, I asked him how the engine came to be seized. And the, the fella, we bought the car out of his gas station, he was a mechanic, and, and he said, well, I got that car like all perfect for my offspring. And I, I gave it to my offspring as a, a gift when they went away to college. And uh, towards the end of their first semester, the oil light went on on the dashboard. They didn't pay any attention to the oil light. They drove the car until it stopped running. I said, oh. He said, yeah, he said, pretty much, give me anything. I just want that car off my lot because of what it reminds me of. As a father, I can identify with that. I taught all three of my children what the oil light means. But there are lessons that go past that in this little story. A lack of joy is like an oil light that goes on on the dashboard of our Christian life. We should be asking ourselves, why am I not experiencing joy? You see, there's some reasons for this. There's, there's, there's some minor reasons. We, we, can, we can stop experiencing joy because we're physically tired, because we're mentally depressed. Uh, because our, our life is, is so hectic. Uh, maybe the house is full of small children, and our life is so hectic that, that joy just is lost. Well, these are things that need to be dealt with, okay? But, but we want to focus on the, 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 larger, the larger issues that can cause us to lose our joy. Uh, we can lose our joy because of sin. Uh, David, in Psalm 51, after his sin of uh, sin with Bathsheba of adultery, murder, and betrayal, he cries out to God and says, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He sinned, and he lost his joy. Now, if, if, if I was going to do a flow chart, I would go back to the teaching of John 15, 11, 
and say, well, what happened there? Well, he lost connection through sin with the vine, and so Jesus' joy could not be implanted in his life by the Holy Spirit because he was out of fellowship. So when we don't experience joy, we have to ask ourselves, is there a sin in my life that is standing between me and the joy that God wants his Holy Spirit to give me? There's another reason. Idols will also stand in our way. Now, an, an idol is anywhere we look for something that only God can provide. The Psalms drives this, uh, drives this home. In Psalm 16, by the way, if, if you're looking to study joy, Psalm 16 is the go-to chapter in the Old Testament, and the book of Philippians is the go-to text in the, New, in the New Testament. Psalm 16, verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. If we believe that there is something good that we seek and we do not seek it from the Lord's hands, we are idolaters, and our joy will be cut off. Psalm 73, verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. Now, I'll be honest. I, I would desire to retire, and that's not, a, that's not a bad thing, but I don't desire retiring more than I desire God. If I desire something more than I desire God's presence, then I have to watch out. I may have an idol taking root and growing in my life. Psalm 142, verse 5, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my portion in the land of the living. James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So we keep an eye on our dashboard. If we aren't experiencing joy as we should, we look at the reasons listed above and in the rest of Scripture. If we see physical issues, sin, or idolatry, we address them. Now we can move on to the positive steps that we can take to help assure that we experience the joy that the Lord intends for us. How can we find joy in our day-to-day -day world? I think I speak for all of us when I say we'd like to experience joy on a day-to-day -day basis. While we cannot cause ourselves to experience joy, we cannot simply choose to be joyful. Unfortunately, we can make life choices which will frustrate the Holy Spirit's desire that we have that good feeling in our soul. The first thing that we can do of a positive nature is to make time and provision for joy. A simple example. If we fail to read our Bible, if we fail to memorize scripture, if we fail to listen to uh, the preaching of God's word podcasts or some other source of bringing God's word into contact with our life, if we do not do those things, the Holy Spirit cannot help us to see the beauty of Christ in the word because we're not letting the word near us. So one way we can open ourselves to joy is to spend time exposing ourselves to the word of God. If our season of life surrounds us with a bunch of little ankle, ankle biters, somehow find a few minutes and look up. If we struggle with medical issues, get help. 
There are no unspiritual issues, unspiritual illnesses. If we have issues with fatigue, we should rest. The second positive thing that we can do is to set our mind on things above. In Colossians 3, 1 and 2, Paul tells us to set our mind on things above and not on things beneath or not on things below. He tells us to do it because it is a choice we must, must make. We must choose to focus, to set our mind. We need to be reminded to make the choice moment by moment because it is all too easy to focus on the transient physical and emotional realities that surround us and forget the eternal spiritual reality that can bless us. Some folks post scripture verses, memorize scripture, or listen to podcasts to help themselves stay focused on things above. Uh, where I work, there's a, there's, there's a, I'm sure there's more believers than the ones I'm aware of, but the believers that, that I'm aware of, we, we have a saying that we use uh, when we end a, an email to an individual who we know is a believer. Uh, we say, keep looking up because it's all too easy to get distracted by the muck and the mire and the, the, the politics and the unreasonable work requests and all the other stuff that, that goes with our common, our common job. So we remind each other, this is a function of the body, we remind each other to keep looking up, to not look beneath. So we can set our minds on things above. We can look where God is at work and join him there. Uh, Henry Blackaby uh, wrote, a, wrote a book called Experiencing God, and one of the, one of the issues that he raised, or one of the, the, the points he made, excuse me, one of the points that he made was that there are certain things that only God does. And when we see those things happening, we can know that God is doing them. Uh, an example would be uh, Romans 3, chapter 11, says that no one seeks after God. No, not one. So if we have a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, someone whose path crosses us who is seeking God, that did not come from their flesh. That is God at work in them. So we have two responsibilities in that case. One is, this is a great opportunity for joy because we can focus on the fact that here in the space-time continuum where we live and breathe and have our being, God is intervening, reaching out, and touching an individual, and we are seeing him act. That should fill us with overflowing joy. The second thing is, that we should join him in what he is doing because if we know that God is at work and we are to be his workers, then this is a clear opportunity for us to determine that this is something where we should invest our time. There's a, there's a, th a third thing, a third uh, positive step that we can take. Um, the uh, Pennsylvania Lottery Commission, which, you know, this is not an endorsement, um, but uh, they, they, have a, they have a statement or a, a, a jingle, a catch line, a catchphrase, whatever, and, and I hope every time you hear it from now on, you'll think of what I'm about to say. Uh, 
rather than what they have to say. But they say you have to play to win. You have to play to win. Um, so I want to tell you a story. Uh, one evening there was a, there was a guy uh, sitting on his front porch having a quiet cup of coffee, uh, reflecting on the events of the day, uh, just kind of chilling, trying to relax and pull his thoughts together. And uh, on the other side of the wall uh, next to his home, a, uh, a street evangelist started holding a street meeting. And there were 50 or 60 people there. And um, he, he listened to the, the street preacher, and the, the street preacher was preaching a very legalistic gospel. It was a, a gospel of enslavement to obeying a code of conduct. It was not a gospel that would bring freedom and peace and joy. Uh, it was not the gospel of Christ. And yet he claimed that this was based on the, the, the Bible, and he quoted scripture uh, to support his teaching. And um, as the fellow sat there and, and enjoyed his coffee, but not necessarily the preaching, uh, he heard someone interrupt the preacher. And he recognized the, the, the thick um, voice of a young man who was part of a discipleship group that he worked with. Uh, a young man who, at an early age, had had an extremely high fever that damaged his brain and left his speech somewhat slurred and his ability to process stuff a bit messed up. And he heard this foul uh, speak up, and he said to the... Uh, to the evangelist, what you're saying isn't true. We recognized that, that this fella had been sitting in, their, in the discipleship group for the past month studying the book of Galatians. And he had asked the same questions over and over and over again as one of the issues with his disability was a lack of memory on occasion. So the fellow sat there and he feared for the worst and he listened to the evangelist mock the young man. He listened to the crowd mock the young man because he talked funny and he obviously wasn't very smart by society's definition. But a lifetime of being mocked had prepared him for this moment. And so he ignored them. And he kept on going. And he kept on asking the questions that needed to be asked from the book of Galatians that exposed the error of the evangelist. And the crowd eventually turned from mocking the young man to mocking the evangelist because he would not answer the young man's questions. Eventually, the crowd told the evangelist to shut up 
and turn to the young man and ask him to explain to them the grace of God. He went on to explain the grace of God so clearly that the Apostle Paul would have been proud. Now the fellow sitting on the front porch just sat there speechless. He leaned back in his chair and joy exploded. It surpassed the bounds of the universe, recognizing that God could use someone as, speaking in our human terms, damaged as this young man. Recognizing that God cared about people who started out mocking and then turned to believing and listening. That God would let him play a part in that young man's formation and training. Boundless, boundless, boundless joy. But you know, you got to play to win. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you care so deeply about us, that you offer us the gift of joy and that you command us to take it. We pray that if there is anything that stands between us and the joy that you want so desperately to give us, that you would help us to see that and that we would set these things aside and that we would experience the fullness that you have planned for us since before the foundation of the earth. We pray, Lord, that we would have the joy, that we would play, that we would be involved in the lives of others and that we would have that overwhelming joy of recognizing that you have used us to accomplish your great work, that we have been a small part in what you're doing here to establish your kingdom. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.